Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. And welcome back to the Sunbelt Podcast for Underdog Dynasty, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football. I am Egmont Chambers, the host of the Sunbelt Podcast for Underdog Dynasty. Of course, also the contributor for Appalachian State mainly, and also I do some work with Coastal Carolina here for the site as well. And back with me once again as my co-host for the Sunbelt edition of the Underdog Dynasty podcast is the one, the only, the Georgia Southern contributor to the side, Mr. Brian Stone. You can find him on Twitter at WatchTheStone. And Brian, here we are, another Sunbelt edition of the podcast, and we come in with our heads held high because we were 7-0 and last week with our fun belt pickums. Yeah, you know, we don't like to uh, toot our own horn so much, but to go 7-0 and and to, you know, a lot of the picks we gave even with the spread were good, uh, good money-wise. So, you know, maybe maybe people need to start uh, paying attention later on in the podcast and writing some of these down to make bets. I am, you know, definitely so. We have a chance to uh, add to that this week with five games uh, on the docket, but so far we are... Uh, we're really looking good at 7-0 and for our overall record on the season, but we'll get to Fun Belt Pick'em later on to close out this podcast. But the two big things that happen where we start with, like always, with the Sun Belt Podcast, obviously we just told you, you know, we were 7-0 and last week. That has to be one of the big things that happened because there wasn't really anything huge that happened out of the Sun Belt last week. Everything kind of went as chalk the way we thought it would but if there's one certain thing you had to pull out is that coastal carolina continues to rise as a program to watch not only in the sunbelt east division but in the sunbelt conference as a whole and brian you look at this shot to clear team led by quarterback kilton anderson this is a team that's showing vast improvement week in and week out yeah, you and I, before we, we went on, were discussing the fact that Anderson's hurt and may not play this coming week, uh, which will factor in, obviously, to our prediction for the next next week's game, or this week's game, rather. But what, just looking at the box score, such a weird game overall. Uh, both teams combined to throw the ball 35 times total and then ran the ball between them 87 times. Uh, so good for, good for Coastal to be able to, uh, get up to a 16 to 7 lead at halftime and just kind of ride that out, even with Louisiana hot on their tail. Yeah, but you know, this was a game, as you mentioned, Coastal took that lead into halftime at 16 to 7. Then all of a sudden in the third quarter, Coastal Carolina does put a touchdown on the board thanks to a very long Kilton Anderson run, a run of about 59 yards. Took him down to the one-yard line, but that's where Anderson got hurt with his ankle. He is questionable for this week against Troy. And then uh, Louisiana, they were able to put two more touchdowns on the board in the third quarter to uh, to make this game interesting, but Coastal with that extra score in the fourth quarter enough to seal the deal. I think this is a shot to clear team at three and one. Uh, Brian, only three more wins to become bowl eligible. It, it's definitely a possibility this year for the shot to clear since they're eligible. It's doable for sure. And you know, going back to it last week's episode. We were talking about just what kind of team Coastal Carolina will field this year. You know, I, I had said they're, they are going to be that type of team that, uh, is, is a tough out 
uh, every time they're going to be on someone's schedule. And so, uh, you know, the way that they looked on Saturday, I wouldn't be shocked if they edged out three more games and made their first ever bowl game. Well, you look at the games they have left. They've got Troy this week, Louisiana Monroe next week, UMass, Georgia State, Appalachian State, and Arkansas State. Also, Georgia Southern and South Alabama. That's how their season is going to come to an end over the stretch of it. And you look at it... You know, Louisiana Monroe, it's a very winnable game. UMass is a uh, winnable game for Coastal Carolina. Georgia State, a winnable game. They'll be underdogs against App State, Arkansas State. And I feel like they may even be a, a nice underdog to your Georgia Southern Eagles, depending on how your Eagles do over the course of the next month of the season before that matchup. And then South Alabama at the end of the year, that's a winnable game too. So there's going to be enough chances for this Shauna Clear team, I feel like, to get three more wins on their schedule. For sure. Uh, I like the next three games, like you pointed out. Uh, I don't think any of those teams are world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. Obviously, they have a they they have a rough go of it. Uh, when whenever you play teams like Troy and App State and Arkansas State, who are typically powers in the Sun Belt, but to to play game teams like Louisiana Monroe, they they've easily got a shot to edge out three more games before this year is out. And you know, the thing about it is, if they could go ahead and do it against a Monroe team next week, UMass the following week, and then Georgia State to close out the month of October, there is your six, and then it gives you the the possibility where you're locked in with six wins over the course of your Final Four against App State, Arkansas State, Georgia Southern, and South Alabama. There's a, even a chance that you could sneak up and uh, you ride some kind of momentum into that App State game or the Arkansas State game, winning three straight or three out of your last four, that they could possibly uh, you know, deliver a, a punch to one of the powers in the conference. Yeah, you as a as a Coastal Carolina fan, you really hope that they, uh, you know, Kilton Anderson's obviously not out long term is is your hope. Uh, but you know, games against teams like Georgia State, uh, who who has shown that they don't have much of a pass defense, um, so you can take advantage of that. And then UMass uh, played Georgia Southern week two, didn't show me a whole lot. Uh, they looked significantly worse than they did last year. Uh, when they beat Southern, or Southern looked, you know, miles better. I don't know. But either way, uh, those are winnable games for sure. Definitely so. Well, that's definitely our two big things that happened out of the conference that we could pull from uh, this week. Coastal Carolina continuing uh, to get better and rise as a program in this conference. Also, that we were 7-0 and in fun belt pick-ems. Uh, we'll see if we can stretch that to 12-0 later uh, on at the end of the podcast. But as we start to dive in to last week's games and our recap, we're just going to go in order of how the games were played. You start... Western Michigan and Georgia State. This was a game going in that we both said the Panthers could struggle and they were down 20 to 9 at halftime and continued to show that once again this team has not been able to run the football in almost 3 years. They only had 58 rushing yards again against Western Michigan this past Saturday. And it seems to be the same thing. If this team is going to be productive on offense, it's going to have to come through the air because nobody has been able to show any signs of positivity on the ground for this team. Yeah, and that's really tough, especially with what we were talking about, their Achilles heel being their pass defense. You know, just looking at the stats, Western Michigan's quarterback, John Wassink, 
uh, 20 of 25 for 234 and three touchdowns. It's, it's a pretty, uh, pretty all right day under center if you're a Western Michigan fan. And then they have two running backs go for over 120 yards each. Uh, you know, if you're Georgia State, you're really hoping that your offense comes together as the year moves along because they're really going to have to bail out what's a pretty porous pass defense. So to come out and put 15 points on the board, uh, you know, you're going to have to score mid 20s to 30s in order to kind of offset those defensive deficiencies. Well, and then Ellington for Georgia State, 19 for 29, passing 285 yards and uh, no touchdowns and an interception, a, a 49 QBR rating. And, you know, this is a receiving core. He divvies it out. Well, Penny Hart, the big-name receiver, had five receptions, 91 yards. Cornelius McCoy had five receptions, 80 yards. So he divvies it out well. But the problem is they're so predictable on the offensive end because they don't have anybody that can shoulder the load because Ellington was also the leading uh, ball carrier along with the leading passer. He had 18 carries for 35 yards. And the way that fractions out is about an average of two yards a carry, give or take. When you, when it's your quarterback that's doing the running and the passing and you have nobody, your one running back has five carries for 12 yards, you're so one-sided offensively that it's not even funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, especially when you don't run a uh, an option-type scheme or, or something where your quarterback is entrusted on carrying the ball maybe 15 to 20 times a game like something Southern would do. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't want a, uh, a guy like Ellington carrying the ball 18 times and getting 1.9 yards per carry. It's just – it's not a good ratio. Like you said, it makes you super predictable. And, you know, like, like we were talking about their pass defense, you – You've just got to score more than 15 points if you're going to beat a team like Western Michigan, even if they don't have P.J. Fleck on the sidelines anymore. Definitely so. With that loss, Georgia State fell to 1-3 and three on the season as we continue to move on to our next recap game. Appalachian State took on Gardner-Webb last Saturday. It was finally the home opener for the Mountaineers after uh, Hurricane Florence derailed Week Three's game that was going to be played against Southern Miss at home. And the Mountaineers, much like we said, we thought they would take care of business, but we also said that, you know, the Satterfield and company is not one to usually run it up too high on these smaller schools, but boy, were we fooled. App State rolls off 14 points in less than four minutes of game time. They has put up 28 points in the first quarter, 24 points in the second quarter, and ride that to a 72 to 7 shellacking of the Gardner Webb Bulldogs. I was there in person as always. And, you know, I, I look at it this way, Brian. This special teams unit is one of the best in the country. I mean, they, they rank up there to prove that they're one of the best in the country. They have scored a touchdown in every single game Appalachian State has played in so far this year. In all three games, the special teams unit has accounted for at least one score for the Mountaineers. They blocked two punts on Saturday, recovered one for a touchdown, took a punt return back for a touchdown. Clifton Dunk did that. And once again, a lot of these guys didn't even play a full half of football. Jalen Moore played a quarter and a half and reeled off 119 yards on eight carries and two touchdowns. Zach Thomas played the first half. He was 11 for 15, 185 yards and a touchdown. Peyton Derrick played all the second half. A red shirt, uh, 
a freshman quarterback from Conway. How ironic. He's from Coastal Carolina's backyard, but is uh, up at Appalachian State. He was 7 for 7, 68 yards. I mean, five different quarterbacks got snaps. Now, only four show up in the box score, but five actually got snaps. There's a young man by the name of Jackson Gibbs, who is a UCLA transfer, actually the grandson of Washington Redskins uh, legendary coach, Joe Gibbs, who took a couple of snaps in at quarterback, but used that as to hand the ball off. So it's what we thought it was, but the score was bigger than what we thought it was. Yeah, and of course Satterfield takes the uh, the opportunity to make us look dumb after, yeah. just after we said, there's no way they come out and put 70 on Gardner-Webb. We were like, oh, they would take their foot off the gas before then. Yeah, well, then they put up 52 in the first half, and we're just sitting here like, well, sorry, you shouldn't have bet that game if you did. <laughs> well, it popped up, believe it or not. I was scrolling through some of the lines on Saturday morning, and they popped up at 43 and a half, 43 and a half, and I was like, that's a lot. App's not one to run it up. I could easily see it being a 52 to 10 ball game or something like that where you would get beat if you took App State minus the 43 and a half. Long behold, they surpassed that by far. I mean, they almost had it pretty much covered at halftime. Yeah, uh, what a rough game if you're Gardner-Webb. You know, we talked about last week kind of taking your lumps and, you know, taking your checks wherever you can get them. But, you know, to come out and score and have it be, I believe it was 14-7 to in the first quarter, and then and then look up at the scoreboard at halftime and see a 52-7 to deficit. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a rough way, uh, to kick off your season, especially when they're already sitting at one and three. But, you know, half off the App State, they covered and they got the job done, obviously, uh, 72 to seven. Well, moving on, the Mountaineers advanced their record to two and one. Uh, the game you called, you said it would be closer than people expected. UNLV and Arkansas State in Jonesboro. Once again, in my opinion, Brian, the Red Wolves, I really, there's something missing. When I watch this team, I feel like they are missing a gear that we expect to be there. Uh, UNLV was in this game all the way from start to finish. Yeah, and, and, you know, going back to last week, like we touched on, it's something about Arkansas State. It does not start clicking until they get into conference play. I don't know what it is, um, but it's been a running theme for, you know, a couple years now. But for UNLV to have a quarterback uh, go 5-for-21 for 23 yards and three interceptions and still be within a touchdown of tying Arkansas State, uh, it's a pretty wild stat line to look at, even though UNLV had 310 yards on the ground. Well, what's funny is that their quarterback, Armani Rogers, had more carries than pass attempts. As you mentioned, he was 5 for 21. He carried the ball 26 times for 181 yards, had a long run of 64 yards. It's kind of crazy. It's, it's back to the Georgia State, you know, comparison there. Your quarterback, albeit for Georgia State, their quarterback can pass it much better than Rodgers can, but it's kind of a crazy stat line. When you dive into the box score, especially on the running Rebel side, just to see how crazy it is and how much of a really one-man show it was for Armani Rodgers carrying UNLV, not through the air, but on the ground. Yeah, and, and you know, like we were saying, Arkansas State, to, to come out and, you know, not be able to score more than – nine points in any quarter they played uh and to to let UNLV kind of hang around it doesn't bode well but we'll see really what kind of team they are this Saturday when they come to Statesboro and play Georgia Southern
Definitely so. Arkansas State advancing their record to 3-1 and one on the season. Moving on, uh, the game we called, we said we liked Coastal outright, no matter uh, what the spread was when we were talking about the game last week. The Shanta clears and the Raging Cajuns doing battle down on the bayou last Saturday night. Uh, Kilton Anderson... And once again, passing was, it was a running theme with Sunbelt games last week. There were a lot more people rushing the football than they were passing. Uh, Coastal Carolina only put the ball in the air 17 times, 11 of the times by Kelton Anderson before he was injured early on in the second half. The Chanticleers were able to stay ahead just enough to pull out a 30 to 28 victory over the Raging Cajuns to go 3 and 1 and 1 and 0 in Sunbelt play. Uh, once again, you know, Brian, I look at this being the the Raging Cajun defense, albeit, you know, looking somewhat better. They slowed Coastal down a little bit more in the second half than they did in the first half. But I still, this is a Cajun defense. The holes are still glaring. Yeah, and, and you know, we kind of recapped this game a little earlier. But if Kilton Anderson's out for any, any extended period of time, it's really going to hurt them. Although, I will say... Their backup, Bryce Carpenter, was a perfect 5-for-5, five five, 82 yards and a score. Uh, but you could really feel his loss, uh, Kilton Anderson's loss, especially when they put 16 on the board before halftime. Uh, it's, it's just gonna be, it's gonna be tough to play without him and without his threat of throwing the ball. But, you know, in limited duty, Bryce Carpenter looked, looked passable. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how they play against Troy this weekend, though. Yeah, we're going to dive into that uh, a little bit more, and uh, Bryce Carpenter could end up being a real key player uh, into that game. Coastal Carolina putting up 311 rushing yards on the board. Marcus Outlow carried it 20 times for 96 yards, and then Torrance Marble carried it for 89 yards. And you look at Louisiana, uh, Andre Nunez, 7 for 14, passing 133 yards. Uh, This Cajun team... You know, their offense has shown signs to being able to score, but I still feel that the holes on defense are so large that it kind of hampers this offense a little bit because it's hard to really gain any momentum off this defense because it seems like they're just constantly letting people score and put points on the board. Yeah, anytime you let a team run for over 300 yards, it's really tough to stay uh, in the game. But, you know, like you said, Raging Cajun's offense, they've shown signs of of being able to be explosive. Uh, If they can really harness that and kind of work on their run defense, they could be a lot better than they actually are. But, you know, you can't have three guys. uh, Obviously, Coastal had Outlow, Maribel, and Anderson all run for over 68 yards. You can't have guys gashing you like that on the ground if you want to stay in games. Definitely. So with the win, Coastal Carolina to three and one, one and zero in conference play, and Louisiana falling to one and two and zero and one in Sun Belt play. As we move on, one of the games that we saw were one of the games to watch from last week: the Troy Trojans and the Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. Uh, we wanted to see Troy avoid the letdown spot, and through one half of football, the last thing on your mind was a letdown. But all of a sudden. In the second half, things looked closer and closer and closer like it was going Louisiana Monroe's way. Do you think, Brian, if this game could have had maybe five or ten more minutes of clock time, that this could have had a different outcome because it was such a drastic difference between the first half and the second half? 
Yeah, I'm not really sure what happened to Troy. Uh, you know, I watched the first half of this game and honestly, I cut it off after halftime. I was like 35 to 7. There's no way UL Monroe comes back from that. But, you know, we were talking about it before we went on, on the air. You know, UL Monroe didn't, uh, wasn't able to get that backdoor cover, uh, points wise, but, you know, to, to hold Troy scoreless in the third and fourth quarters is obviously no, no small task. Uh, Caleb Evans, their quarterback, ended up throwing the ball 48 times, 29, uh, completions for two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, QBR wasn't great at 58, but, you know, you do what you can to try to stay competitive. And, you know, UL Monroe ran for 200 yards on the ground. So, I, you know, it's one of those things. If they had gotten a little bit going earlier, they may have been right there with Troy, but a 35 to 7 deficit at halftime is just too much to overcome. Yeah, they were able to put 13 points on the board in the fourth quarter, really pull that game under 10 points and make it a, a possibility with a score and a two-point conversion, but it was just too little too late. You, as you mentioned, Evans putting the ball in the air 48 times, completing 29 of those. He was also the leading ball carrier for Louisiana Monroe as well with 15 carries and 101 yards. Is it me, Brian, or is it the Sun Belt is just full of quarterbacks that are also dual threat caliber guys? I, I don't I don't actually have any numbers on this, but I feel like the Sun Belt is comprised of quarterbacks who uh, bigger schools offered them to play more athletically inclined positions, and they took starting jobs in the Sun Belt to play quarterback, which at least was Shy Wirtz's deal um, for Georgia Southern. But, uh, yeah, it, I mean, as far as, uh, conferences go, it's gotta be one of the most athletic conferences as far as, uh, quarterback play. Definitely so. Uh, Caleb Barker for Troy. He was 23 for 28. Very efficient through the air. 273 yards. Two touchdowns. Ringed in a nice 91.5 QBR. Sawyer Smith. He got some snaps, uh, at quarterback. Four for four passing. 56 yards and a touchdown. A 96.7 QBR. Uh, Troy really done well through the air total uh, out of their 32 attempts through the air between the two quarterbacks, 27 of them completions. When you're passing the ball that efficiently, number one, if you're Troy, you're happy about it, you're ecstatic, but if you're Louisiana Monroe, that shows up a big hole in your passing defense. Absolutely, and I think what Troy's problem was, was they got a little too conservative probably late, uh, or the running game just wasn't there. You know, they averaged four yards per carry as a team, but, you know, they had Jabir Daughtry Fry had one carry for 24 yards, so that really, like, stretches that out as far as yards per carry go. But I feel like Troy probably got a little too conservative when the passing game was still working against UL Monroe, and they really probably should have kept their foot on the gas a little bit more. Yeah, I still think Troy uh, overall was the much better team uh, in this matchup. Hence, why they advanced their record to three and one and one and zero in conference play. Louisiana Monroe falling to two and two and zero and one in Sun Belt play. Moving on, a game that you and I both talked about. Uh, we weren't the most confident in when it comes to picking. We just, you know, led one way here because of prior matchups. Was Texas State traveling to the Alamo Dome to take on the Roadrunners of Texas San Antonio? Lo and behold, we were right. It was a close game. Uh, Texas San Antonio had to reel up eight points in the fourth quarter to be able to uh, grab their victory over Texas State. Once again, the Bobcats in a game all the way to the finish, but unable 
to do what they need to do most importantly, and that is finish. We talked about this last week, Brian. This is a theme that has happened all too much. Anytime Texas State has momentum late in a ball game, they find a way to lose it. Yeah, and, you know, they always say an ugly win is better than a pretty loss, but this was an ugly game for both teams uh, offensive, offensively. Uh, UTSA's quarterback, Cordell Grundy, 19 of 35 for 127. He averaged 3.6 yards per pass and one touchdown. Uh, you know, Texas State's quarterback, Tyler Vitt, did play better, but also threw two interceptions. Uh, neither team... Uh, you know, Texas State ran, didn't run the ball overly well, <laughs> only averaging one yard per carry as a team. And, uh, UTSA really gashed them on the ground. But, you know, just an ugly, ugly game offensively by both teams. But UTSA was able to come away with the win, and that's what matters in the end. Yeah, and definitely so. It's all about, uh, putting that W on the board no matter how ugly it is. You talk about just how ugly the rushing stats were for Texas State. Robert Brown Jr., three carries, 17 yards. He was the leading rusher for the team. Tyler Vent, the quarterback, once again, another Sun Belt quarterback, carrying the ball 12 times for 11 yards and a touchdown. That's about .9 yards a carry, so you can't even really call that a yard. If you want to round up, you can. The official stat line says 0.9. But when your team as a total has 25 rushing attempts and you manage 26 yards, if I'm Everett Withers, there's, I'm talking to my lineman up front. Absolutely. And, you know, the way that this game looks on paper, it looks like Texas State moving forward is going to be throwing the ball a lot more than they did in this one. Uh, Tyler Vitt, like we said, their quarterback only threw the ball 22 times, but if their offense, uh, is only going to be able to average one yard per carry on the ground, it may be time to open it up and make it a little more of an air raid team. Definitely. So Texas State with the loss dropping to one and three on the season. Our last game to recap for week four before we preview week five and later on after that a little fun belt pick 'em. South Alabama and Memphis. We talked about this one could be the highest scoring game of the week out of the conference. Obviously it was. 52-35. The Memphis Tigers get it rolling with offense against South Alabama. I couldn't believe it, Brian. When I woke up on Saturday morning and saw that the over-under was only 68, you bet I hopped on the over as soon as I can. Uh, I could in a straight-up bet because 68, I thought to myself, there's a chance Memphis hits 68 by themselves. They put up 52. South Alabama scoring 35. It went well over the total, but once again, 68 for an over-under. That was way too low for a Memphis team. <laughs> Absolutely, and and you know we talked about it last week. Uh, South Alabama, at the very least, you can count on them to score points. So if you're looking at a game like this where you're saying they really have no chance to beat Memphis, but they will be able to put points on the board. They score, you know, all in all five touchdown or uh, five touchdowns. Evan Orr throws three of those. Jamarius Way, like I said last week, really great talent at, out at receiver. Ten catches for 185 and a score. Uh, you know, they didn't run the ball overly well, but, you know, we never really expected them to be able to beat Memphis straight up. But as far as betting goes, South Alabama was a solid solid choice yeah because it was 30 when we recorded the podcast last week and it was still 30 when the podcast was put out to the public so i i thought 30 was it's a little uh it's a little steep however you you know you look at the over under when i saw it was 68 i thought okay you people in vegas have paid no attention to g5 football 
<laughs> Absolutely. Memphis by themselves almost put that number on the board last week against Georgia State, and Georgia State's offense is just flat and not as good as South Alabama's. Uh, like we said, you know, we knew South Alabama was going to be able to put points on the board. So looking at it from a betting perspective rather than a straight-up perspective, uh, we, you know, we never really doubted for a second that South Alabama was going to be able to put the ball in the end zone. So if you took the over, great for you. Definitely. So, well, that kind of sums up uh, week four, South Alabama falling to one and three for their record on the season. We get into it now. Uh, a lot more Sunbelt games to talk about this week. This really, truly the first what you might as well call true week of conference play where the majority of the games are in conference games. But the first game we're going to start by previewing, and of course we'll talk about the spread with each of these games, is a big one. Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, hit the road. They'll come up from the Bayou to Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa to take on the Alabama Crimson Tide. This is a game that opened up at 50 as the spread. It opened up at 50. It came down to 48 and then has slowly moved its way back up to 48 and a half. Uh, Brian, what do you say? Louisiana's defense that I don't trust at all going up against Tua Tagovailoa, who has been scorching hot, you know, through the, the Crimson Tide's four games. He's 58 of 80 passing for over, for just over a thousand yards and 12 touchdowns and four games. Games, this could be a game where Alabama could easily put 60-plus on the board. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about Tua's uh, ability to uh, throw the ball all around the yard. Obviously, there's no question about how good of a quarterback he is. 48-and-a-half is a large number to cover, especially when you know that Jalen Hurts is probably going to come into this game. Uh, he's as far as from a betting perspective, kind of been a wet blanket if you bet on Alabama and these large spreads. Uh, if I had to bet this game, I'd probably say Alabama covers, but I wouldn't feel great about putting money down on it. Would you feel be- better about the over-under sitting at 67? <sighs> I I don't think I would, and it's just because I really question about how, how Louisiana would be able to score against Alabama's even second and third string defenses. Uh, I would say I would probably take the under in this one and I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on the, the spread either way. Well, I think I would feel better as an over-under instead of the spread because the spread being so large, let's just say if this thing where it's at 48.5 right now, so if you look at that, I mean, you're talking 49 or more points that the Crimson Tide will have to win by, and I just feel like this is a game that, who knows, I mean, Saban may say they may get up 50 Five to nothing. Get maybe give up a, a late score or something, and there you are, fifty-five to to six, something like that. If and you know you're okay, but or it ties the spread at forty-nine. I just feel like you know it. It's tough to say because you don't know when Alabama's going to take their foot off the throttle. Absolutely, and like I said, you know Jalen Hurts really uh, their their offense is night and day whenever he's out on the field. So anytime he takes the field, their offense seriously grinds to a halt as far as scoring goes, which is why he was replaced by Tua uh, in the national championship game last year. Uh, like like we said, I wouldn't feel great betting the the line on this game, but I'd probably take the under because. Alabama's really known for kind of taking their foot off the gas once once it's the game's in hand. They've got more important games to play down the road, so I don't see them covering 48.5 or 49. 
Well, the uh, game scheduled for a high noon kickoff in Tuscaloosa. You can catch that one on the SEC Network. Moving on, now we get into Sunbelt football full go the rest of the way of previewing our games. A 2 o'clock kickoff in the ATL at Georgia State Stadium in Turner Field. The Louisiana Monroe Warhawks going to be coming in to Atlanta to take on the Panthers of Georgia State. Louisiana Monroe, an eight-point favorite in this game against the Panthers. Uh, from what I've been able to find uh, online, I, I tell you what, Brian, I'm not so sure because Evans and passing the football, what he had, the amount of passes he's put up the past couple of weeks, and, and seeing some good things happen in that second half against Troy, I believe I like Louisiana Monroe minus the eight in this game because once again I don't trust this Georgia State defense either. No, and you know we touched on it when we recapped the uh, the other Georgia State game. Uh, not being able to run the ball at all really hurts their offensive upside and their ability to put points up. So uh, if if the line is eight for UL Monroe, I would take the points and rely on Caleb Evans to kind of take me there. Yeah, the, definitely. So I don't see, you know, this is a game. Louisiana Monroe has shown holes in their passing defense, so Georgia State may be able to put 21-28 up on the board somewhere in that range through their passing game because that's definitely all that they've been able to show a lifeline of as far as offense. But I feel like Louisiana Monroe may put, 35 plus up on the board so i like the warhawks minus the eight yeah i feel pretty confident in ul monroe to be able to take this game both straight up and and uh points wise that game scheduled once again a two o'clock kickoff in atlanta on espn plus you move on a 3:30 kickoff time at a veterans memorial stadium in troy alabama the trojans back at home welcoming the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina for a 3.30 kickoff. The Trojans coming in as a 14-point favorite. And I'll tell you what, this is an interesting spread to look at at 14 because on paper when you look at it, is Coastal Carolina 10 points, or should I say, is Louisiana Monroe 10 points better than Coastal Carolina because that spread with Monroe last week was only 4.5, this game 14 it seems uh, this game seems a little bit a little high in my opinion, uh, Brian. What about you? Absolutely, uh, I think Coastal uh, has definitely has the ability to keep it within two touchdowns. Uh, you know, obviously Troy taking their foot off the gas in the second half last week doesn't inspire a whole lot of confidence from a betting perspective. So uh, I could definitely see the exact same thing happening where Troy goes up big and then just kind of forgets that they're in the middle of a football game and the other team kind of mounts a little bit of an offensive attack. So I would take Coastal plus 14 in a heartbeat. Well, Kilton Anderson right now to the point when we're recording the podcast here on Wednesday night is questionable with his ankle, so he is questionable for the game against Troy. If Bryce Carpenter starts, he is a true freshman, and he will be starting at quarterback in Veterans Memorial Stadium against Troy. If Carpenter starts the game as a true freshman, he's shown some promising signs to be the uh, to be the next guy after Kilton Anderson graduates. Does the does the betting as far as whether you know Carpenter starts or Anderson starts, does the fourteen affect your decision depending on which quarterback suits up for the Chanticleers? No, and and here's why: it's just because you know. He looked good in limited duty last week in relief of uh, Kilton Anderson. Uh, plus, I, I have confidence that uh, Joe Moglia and that crew over there can scheme out 
uh, some plays even with Bryce Carpenter in the game. So I like them to be able to keep it within 14, even if uh, Troy goes up big early like they did last week. I, I like their ability to be able to scheme out some points and uh, kind of keep it within two touchdowns. Well, that game once again, 3.30 kickoff in Troy, and you can catch it on ESPN3. Now you move on down, another 3.30 kickoff. The South Alabama Jaguars make their way to Kid Brewer Stadium in Boone. It is homecoming 2018 for the Mountaineers as they welcome the Jaguars. This is the first time the Mountaineers and the Jaguars have done uh, battle with each other since, I believe, 2016 or 2015. It's been a couple of years since the Mountaineers and the Jaguars have played. However, Appalachian, uh, no stranger to playing where the Jaguars played. They've won a couple of bowl games down in their stadium uh, as well. But you look at this matchup, the spread now is 25-and-a-half. It was 26, but it's moved down to 25-and-a-half for a conference game this is a big spread to me, but I didn't, by no means, this spread opened up at 27 and a half. It came down now to 25 and a half. I really don't know what they were thinking in Vegas, but for a Sunbelt Conference game, I really thought this spread was very large. Let me, let me pose a question to you. How do you feel about App State in comparison to a team like Memphis that South Alabama played last week? Here's the thing. I, App State has been able to show that they can score, but here's the thing. Now, if you set the Penn State game aside, you take their two G5 games that they have played against Charlotte and against Gardner-Webb. This is where I wish that we would have seen the Southern Miss game because it would have gave you more of a G5, G5 basis because Gardner-Webb is slanted, them being so outmanned against Appalachian State being an FCS opponent. So you really only have one true look at G5, G5 competition for Appalachian State playing Charlotte. And Charlotte, as we saw this past Saturday against UMass, not a very good G5 football team. They proved that against it's the Appalachian State as well. And, you know, Memphis playing Georgia State, playing te- uh, South Alabama, playing Navy. You throw Mercer out of the way on that. I think, you know, it, it's tough to call. I think there's a lot of similarities you could see between this Memphis team and this Appalachian State team because I think App State will beat Georgia State later on in the season when they play. Obviously, they would beat Mercer. Navy would be an interesting one because it's rare when you see the triple option, so you really don't know. It's hard to play one of the academy schools because they throw something totally different your way that you don't see any other point in the year. Memphis only lost the game. By a point, I honestly feel that Memphis and Appalachian State, I, I might would lean, maybe give App State a few points spread-wise, maybe three or four. But I feel like, honestly, I really feel like they're two teams that could be a semi on the same level with each other. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked about this before the show. Uh, I, you sent me a message that showed what spreads were. And I literally texted you and said, App State minus 26? or it was 26 at the time, and you said, yeah, it seems a little high. So I would take South Alabama plus 25.5, plus 26, whatever. And from what I can see, the over under 56, I would take the over, no questions asked. Well, this is a game where I feel like it's going to put more testing on the Appalachian State defense than the offense because South Alabama has been prone to giving up points. There's been no question about that. They've not had a problem at, at giving up points 
in any of their games this season uh, that they've played. They gave up 30 to uh, Louisiana Tech, 55 to Oklahoma State. They give up uh, 31 to Texas State and then give up 52 to Memphis. So I think you'll see Jalen Moore and Zach Thomas have a productive game. I think Corey Sutton, who is quietly becoming one of the uh, better G5 receivers, he's ranking high in the country in a lot of categories, the Kansas State transfer. I think you could see have a have a big game. But it, uh, the, the matchup to watch in this is the South Alabama offense against the Appalachian State defense. Absolutely. And I kind of regard Jamarius Way as the, the Julio Jones of the Sun Belt. Uh, he's got a lot of catches, a lot of yards, and two touchdowns. So, uh, I would, I would definitely, uh, like to see how Appalachian State, uh, plans on defending him. And, uh, you know, just from a points perspective, I have a lot of faith in Evan Orth's ability to put some points on the board. So, uh, I would take, I would still take the over in this one. Either it's going to be an App State absolute blowout or, uh, or South Alabama keeps it within 25 and a half. Definitely so. That game scheduled once again a 3.30 kickoff at the Rock in Boone. You can catch it also on ESPN+. And our final one to uh, get to and preview before we take off on Fun Belt Pick'em for this week is uh, is your game, my friend, at Allen E. Paulson Stadium there in Statesboro, a 6 o'clock Eastern time kickoff on ESPN+. The Red Wolves come to Georgia Southern to take on the Eagles. You had your bye week after the, uh, a pretty good showing against Clemson, uh, I thought, of a productive showing against the Tigers. And now you welcome the Red Wolves to town. This is a game where your Eagles early on have a chance to make a statement in this conference. Absolutely. And it and it's kind of what you mentioned with App State and having just a, just one G5 actual test. Um, Georgia Southern early in this season has opened with South Carolina State. They uh, dominated the Bulldogs. That one was never really uh, close except after the first quarter. Uh, UMass was UMass is just not a good team this year. They they couldn't didn't seem to kind of know what they wanted to do offensively. So that was a 34 to 13 victory. And then I was impressed, like I said, about how they played at Clemson. So I'm really interested to see how Georgia Southern plays in this one. Uh, they had a really rough season last year, obviously, and Arkansas State kind of took them to the woodshed. But for this line to be three points, uh, I wouldn't touch this line with a pole, with a ten foot pole, not knowing what kind of Georgia State team, Georgia Southern team I'm talking about, or what kind of Arkansas State team I'm looking at. So uh, I would probably take the under in this one, just because I feel like Georgia Southern's defense is very good this year. And uh, they haven't scored over 37 points in a game, and I don't see them approaching that number against Arkansas State. Well, a question I have for you, quarterback Shy Wirtz. If you had to pick for this game, now granted, you look at it, obviously being a quarterback who's not going to pass the football a lot, he only attempted seven passes against South Carolina State, nine against UMass, and eight against Clemson. How many passing yards do you think he goes for here against this game in Arkansas State? How many passes do you think that Georgia Southern needs to call by him and use his arm to be successful in this game against Arkansas State? Uh, ideally, if if you're looking at it from a Georgia Southern perspective, ideally you want him to see, see him throw 10 or fewer passes. Uh, the, the, the less chance he has to make a mistake through the air, the better. 
but uh, you always do want to keep the other team honest, obviously, on offense. So I wouldn't be surprised to see, uh, you know, a couple throws to the sticks just to just, you know, things like curl routes and drags and things like that just to to keep Arkansas State on their toes a little bit and keep them from crowding the box. And obviously just a bomb here and there that they can throw out. But, uh, you know, if this game goes south in a hurry for some reason for Georgia Southern, you could definitely see Wirtz throwing uh, upwards of probably 20 to 25 passes. But it would really have to be out of hand. Uh, so ideally, if you're a Georgia Southern fan, you want to see Wirtz throw 10 or fewer and really carry the load on the ground. Definitely so. That game, once again, a 6 o'clock kickoff at Paulson Stadium in Statesboro, and you can catch it on ESPN+. Plus. So we've recapped last week's games. We've talked about two big things that happened. We've discussed through the spreads with all the matchups here in Week 5. Now it is time for what we have seen through one podcast for 2018 to do best, and that is Fun Belt Pick'em. We throw the spreads out the window. It's straight up. Head-to-head, just like you were betting a game on a money line, you're trying to pick a straight-up winner here. And so far, if we would have went through and laid money on just straight-up money lines of games last week, my friend, we probably would have walked out with a nice little profit. I'd be able to buy a house. Yeah, definitely so. <laughs> we were 7-0 and last week. Uh, both of us were 7-0. and We picked the same seven winners. Uh, I think this week it's a little bit tougher to pick this week than it was last week. But our first game we have to start off with, I don't think it's tough to pick at all. We're going to go in order of the kickoff, so it takes us back to the top of the rotation. Louisiana and Alabama. If anybody looks at me and says that the Cajuns are going in there and taking out the Crimson Tide, I'm smacking them and telling them they need to head their head examined. This is one upset that is not happening. I like the Crimson Tide to roll big over that suspect Cajun defense. Yeah, give me Alabama, and we can move to 8-0 after we pick these. In the- <laughs> yeah, I, I feel safe. I feel safe. If there's anything I feel like making a bank guarantee on is that we're going to be 8-0 by the time 3.30 rolls around on Saturday afternoon because our next game, Louisiana, Monroe, and Georgia State kicks off at 2, so they'll still be playing, and so we won't have a record added to us on a win or a a loss at that point. So I feel like we're for sure going to go 8-0 at least. Absolutely. And then, uh, you know, looking at this, the UL Monroe Georgia State game, you know, hitting on the things we were talking about before, I just don't believe in how one, one dimensional Georgia State's offense is. And their, their Achilles heel is what UL Monroe does best on offense. So I'll take the Warhawks in this one. Yeah, I'm going to go Louisiana Monroe in this game uh, as well. Caleb Evans is kind of that do-it-all guy for the Warhawks. And I don't think he's against a stout enough defense that can keep him contained uh, running or passing. I think this Panther defense is too suspect. And I like Louisiana Monroe to kind of go in there and uh, and take care of business in the ATL against Georgia State. I've got the Warhawks as well. You move on. Coastal Carolina and Troy, uh, we entertained the 14 with the spread line, but straight up head-to-head, uh, yeah, you have to lean to the Trojans straight up head-to-head, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, Kilton Anderson, if, even if he plays, he's got a bum ankle, like we mentioned. Uh, either that or Bryce Carpenter plays as a, as a freshman. 
Uh, I like Troy straight up, although that's not that's not much of a stretch to say. I will say it is intriguing when you're picking with points and over unders and spreads and things like that. But straight up, give me give me the Trojans at home. Yeah, I don't feel the threat here. Here straight up is big enough to warrant uh, an upset here. Your our next game, South Alabama and Appalachian State. Uh, we talked about how we thought the spread was large. We might would lean South Alabama or take South Alabama with the spread wise at twenty five and a half, twenty six. But straight up head to head. Uh, I'm keeping my homer cap on here. I've got the Mountaineers. I think they get to three and one. Uh, I, I think they're able to exploit in a game that's going to be close through three quarters. I feel like we'll be closer than people expect through three quarters. I feel like Zach Thomas and this offense at home will be able to pinpoint some key plays down the stretch and be able to put uh, some points on the board uh, when it matters in the fourth quarter. I like the Mountaineers here, but I think it'll be less than 20 points even as a victory for Appalachian State. Absolutely. You know, in my opinion, uh, App State is, is you know, right in that top tier, obviously, with the rest of the uh, the class of the Sun Belt with the Arkansas States and the uh, Troys of the world. I don't think their App State season truly gets started until next Saturday, uh, October 9th, when they go at Arkansas State to play the Red Wolves. So uh, I like them to to roll here against South Alabama, but you know points wise it, it's interesting. But give me App State straight up. Yeah, definitely so. And so we move on. We both so far have the same picks again, and then the last one. It's it's a big one in Statesboro. The Red Wolves and the Eagles, and this is to me this is the toughest game to pick. To me, straight up for fun belt pick them. This is the toughest game of the week to pick because I feel like this is set up Arkansas State with slow start after slow start. Georgia Southern's gonna play ball control. We know that the Eagles are gonna chew clock, chew clock, chew clock, and I and I'm gonna say this. I think chewing the clock. It's going to be something that they're going to do well with in this game. We saw the way rushing that Louise, or I should say that UNLV was able to do against this Arkansas State team. And you know what, my man? I am calling for the upset here. I have got the Eagles at home in an early season upset to assert themselves as a much better team, not only in the Sun Belt East, but the Sun Belt overall. And they put a 0-1 early in Sun Belt play on the Red Wolves. I'm calling it at home. Georgia Southern pulls an upset over the Red Wolves. Absolutely. Uh, You know, I think, uh, like we said, Georgia Southern's pass defense is just night and day from where it was last year. Uh, They were really horrible against some even not great teams like UMass. Uh, I like Georgia Southern here to roll against a uh, Arkansas State team, like you said, that really had trouble stopping UNLV's ground game. Uh, I do want to see Georgia Southern be a little more aggressive with their offensive play calling, maybe get uh, some guys out in space instead of trying to run between the tackles so much. But if Arkansas State's going to concede any sort of ground to Georgia Southern like they did last week, it's going to be a long night for the Red Wolves in Statesboro. Well, once again, for the second week in the in a row, we both picked the same games in Fun Belt Pick'em, Alabama, over Louisiana, then we have Louisiana Monroe over Georgia State, Troy over Coastal Carolina, App State over South Alabama, and Georgia Southern with the upset pick over Arkansas State. So that's how we shape out through Fun Belt Pick'em, and of course we'll do it all again next week. Brian, my man, as we wind down the podcast for this week as we normally do, 
what's the one thing in your mind that you are looking for out of a Sun Belt for this week? Uh, I really think the Arkansas State-Georgia Southern game is going to determine uh, who kind of claims that spot at the top of the Sun Belt. Uh, obviously, you've got you've got Troy and App State to account for, and they're all they're always going to be up there. But I think that third spot where you're you're talking about uh, you know tiebreakers or, or things along those lines, I really think that this is going to determine going forward what kind of season each team has. Uh, you know, like we said, Arkansas State has a penchant of getting off to a really slow start. So if they want, if they end up doing that in Statesboro against Georgia Southern, I have a feeling the Eagles could, could make them pay. So I'm interested to see how the top of the, uh, conference shakes out. Well, my one thing that I'm looking for this week is who is going to step up and assert themselves as an unknown contender in this conference? Coastal Carolina has the chance to do that. If they could pull an upset over Troy, it would get them to 2-0 and in Sunbelt play. Uh, Louisiana Monroe has the chance to get back to 1-1. One one. South Alabama has a chance to get to 2-0 and over Appalachian State. So I'm looking for which one of these underlying teams that we don't put a lot of stock in at the beginning of the season has has a chance to make an early rise and say, knock, knock, we're here and we're not going to go away quietly. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds that sounds definitely like something that uh, people should be watching out for. I believe that even if Troy beats Coastal Carolina this, this weekend, if Coastal makes a game of it, they could still be considered contenders for the uh, Sun Belt. Definitely so. Well, man, that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of the Sun Belt Podcast. Tune in next week. We'll be right back here recapping, looking ahead, talking about things that happened, and, of course, Fun Belt Pick'em. We have a chance to get to 12-0 this week. If things fall right for the second week in a row, we like the same teams in Fun Belt Pick'em, so we'll see how that goes. But, man, before you go, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and uh, if, if they want to get in touch with you. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me this weekend, uh, I will obviously be live tweeting the, uh, the Georgia Southern Arkansas State game. You can catch me at Watch the Stone on Twitter. And, uh, obviously my preview and recap and all that will be on underdogdynasty.com, uh, or later this week. The preview's coming. Obviously after the game, I will be doing my recap. Definitely. So same thing on my end. You can catch me on Twitter at Radio Guy AC. I'll be live tweeting the App State South Alabama game through my page. Go ahead and uh, follow me up there on Twitter at Radio Guy AC. We'll have the South Alabama preview. We'll have a recap of the game as well. And of course, you can tune in next week for another edition of the Sun Belt Podcast through Underdog Dynasty, the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football. This has been our second Sunbelt pod of 2018.